0: like movies i'm your host angel
1: and i'm your stupid host javi
0: (laughs) you know i'm actually pretty excited because guess what this is actually the start of year three of the podcast can you freaking believe that
1: right now i'm kind of angry so no but but it is actually a milestone that i'm very surprised we made
0: yeah and this is so this is the second because we started this podcast like right after new new years on in 2019 we've made it through the first year of this pandemic and now going into year three well, technically
1: uh, this is supposed to be our new year's special which we pushed back because we well we need some breaks damn it (laughs) we needed a break
0: well we also recorded two episodes on uh the week of christmas which we didn't do last year so
1: enjoy the content you filthy animals
0: (laughs) this week we're doing the 2005 remake Of the 1976 John Carpenter classic Assault on Precinct 13.
1: I am like John taffering up because we didn't even watch the good one. (laughs) 2005 one with Ethan Hawke.
0: Well, the reason why we watched this one was specifically because the movie takes place on New Year's Eve. Because we wanted to
1: continue my my hate for Ja Rule. (laughs) <laughs> and it, this beef that he doesn't
0: know we have. Uh, so this movie is I, I don't know what the thought was behind this or why this was a movie that they picked. Why this was like a movie that people wanted to have remade, right? Um, I honestly don't know. I do know that that it I've seen. You know, both of i both of us have seen the original Assault on Precinct Thirteen, the John Carpenter movie, mm-hmm. and honestly, it's. <laughs> Okay, if you ask John Carpenter himself, one of the things that he always talked about was that he never meant to become a horror director, that the genre that he always wanted to direct was Westerns. But the only problem is that he was coming up in a time when Westerns were no longer in fashion. So I guess his Assault on Precinct 13 movie, you know, was a siege movie set in 1970s Los Angeles uh, Mm -hmm. on the last day of a dilapidated L.A. precinct. Uh, where, you know, this gang uh, apparently decided that they were going to, you know, that they, they were woke going up to violence. Yeah, that they were going to kill everyone at this police station and take over at this, you know, police station. Um, but the thing is with the John Carpenter movie is even though he didn't like intend to be a horror filmmaker, there are horror elements to that original Assault on Precinct 13 movie. Uh, specifically, I think there is a sequence with a with a uh, a young girl character uh, at an ice cream truck where she is like killed by one of the gang members who is going to try to seize the precinct later. And that's
1: if I remember correctly, that's the catalyst because then the girl's dad kills the guy that killed his daughter and then they chase him to the precinct if i remember correctly like i don't know i haven't seen um i haven't seen that uh version of assault precinct 13 in years i think i think that actually the first time i ever saw it was with you um but yeah that one was like you said it was a lot more like it did have a lot more horror elements that like you know the like the the gang members like never talked aside from that one line where they made like the blood feud pact at the beginning of the night and then like the rest is about in the rest of the film they're attacking like this weird horde where you don't know how many numbers of them there are and they're like attacking from the shadows and it's like picking people off one by one so it's like John Carpenter says he did he didn't want to be a horror director but honestly he has a knack for it
0: yeah, I mean, the movie also has a lot of elements that remind me of Night of the Living Dead, where you just replace zombies with these like silent gang members that are trying to break into <laughs> brown and free. black people. <laughs> and um, so, so you know, when I found out that this movie was being remade and I did find out early in production that this movie was actually getting a remake, I was interested. Um, you know what? And to be totally honest, I do think it was a horror trend that got this movie greenlit because oh, yeah. two years before this movie the texas chainsaw massacre remake was uh was released by the platinum dudes production
1: that's exactly what i was looking at texas texas chainsaw massacre with jessica biel came out in 2003 walking i'm sorry walking dead uh dawn of the dead yeah
0: yeah dawn yeah, of dawn dead. the
1: dead with ving rains comes out 2004 the early, like I don't know if people remember this from 2000 to like 2007 was like the time where where Hollywood like these production companies were just like get the rights to old movies and we're gonna remake them with young people.
0: Yeah, well, Platinum Dunes did it. Platinum mm. Dunes after they after they saw the success that they had with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 09, they would do the Friday the 13th remake, and then in 2010 they would do a Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Mm -hmm. The halloween remake in 2007 like this was it it was actually literally the reason why before this decade this last decade kicked off and brought horror back it's i thought we were watching the death of horror yeah because
1: remember remember house of wax that was a remake with (laughs) with paris hilton and people were like like people literally only watched it to watch paris hilton die like (laughs) like it was it was weird where it was like they they were just they were just cranking out all these like remakes horror movies just as like very blatant cash grabs, so there was no original horror for almost like ten years or for what felt like ten years, because even the good horror movies the ones that were Americanized and you know given to us as like you know good movies movies like uh, the Grudge or the Ring. Those were all inspired by Jhar, which you know, movies from the late '90s into the early aughts. So it's like. Yeah, it, it, it's super bizarre. Like, I, I i wonder if there's like a documentary or something I can check out because I actually do want to. I want to see that cultural trend. Like, I, like it can't be just us making it up. Like, I'm sure there's other. I'm sure there's people smarter than us that have connected
0: these dots before. <laughs> so I'm sure there's other podcasts that have probably had better discussions on this. Nah, but, nah, fuck them. <laughs> but anyway, I I think what's important to do is that also we can get into the the remake of this movie specifically a couple things i think ethan hawk was kind of i think ethan hawk was still riding that wave of popularity from training day movies that he had been in around the time training day mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i feel like training day training day got ethan hawk into a wider audience to where people like me who I- i'll say at this time I probably was someone who was listening to Ja Rule and was probably interested in this movie because he was gonna be in it. I, I despite the fact that I'm also a fan of John Carpenter, I'm pretty sure that, you know, the people who are gonna be in this movie, the style that they seem to be going for, uh, with Lawrence Fishburne as well, like like it just it seemed like the right thing. And and I don't know, Ethan Hawke became very trendy in like these kind of like more urban setting, like cop dramas for some reason <laughs> coming off a of training day and I always kind of picture him like this anytime he's in a cop movie where he's like the cop that has to either uh, what is it like bend his morals or you know he's like the pill popping alcoholic I don't know even though I don't think there's any other cop movie that he's in where he's like this what well, other cop it's, movie it's, is he in to begin with <laughs> honestly i don't know but for some reason this is kind of like the quintessential role that i re- that, that that i like think of him playing you either like think just of these me? like damaged like i feel like he plays a lot of these like damaged characters that like i don't know that, that there's some sort of like underlying insanity under them where like they could either be very good benevolent characters or he could also like be a secret serial killer at the same time i don't know it feels
1: like you're having an abed existential crisis from community where he tries to decide if nick cage is a good actor (laughs) the only thing i think of ethan hawk as is either the cop from training day or the cop from this where he's just he's just always in shitty situations as a police officer or he's the dad from boyhood
0: (laughs) yeah the dead and boyhood also for like you know it's like he's a guy who like didn't really grow up and had some stuff going on in his life and yeah i don't know it's, it just i do kind of picture him as a character grappling with like past mistakes a lot
1: <laughs> here i just see him as the foil to ja rule <laughs> okay i'm done i'm done with my hate for ja rule not nah, no I'm all right not.
0: so the changes that have been made in this movie from the original film there's a hundred percent
1: more jaw rule in it
0: there's also a hundred percent more ethan hawk and lawrence fishburne in it mm. the caliber of actor is uh has gone up from john carpenter's movie obviously john carpenter's movie was a micro budget student film essentially like it was it, it was john carpenter himself will tell you that it was it was his first real movie only in that he had to shoot it in a certain amount of days and mm-hmm. uh you know, that, that he had to get it distribute and distributed and distributed that kind of stuff. But uh, it's, it's still, like, in many ways, people consider Halloween the movie he made after more as his, like, coming out party. So mm-hmm. uh, the actors that were in assault, the original Assault on Precinct 13 are completely unknown actors. This movie, because it was picked up by Road Pictures, like, and it was a bigger studio than the original studio that released this movie, uh, they... Got John Ling was almost in this as well, you know. Um, it's just yeah, like you said, Drea DiMatteo and and Brian Dennehy is in this. <laughs> Maria like Bellows in this. Yeah, there's there's lots of people who are in other stuff and are highly recognizable in this. Uh, the big change that has been made, however, is that the police station is being is under siege from crooked police officers instead. What this movie really does that uh that the other you know that the original movie could not do is they really build up their villain uh you know as the kind of big crime boss kingpin type, uh, which I you know I, I very much see Lawrence Fishburne being good in that kind of role.
1: <laughs> oh, you mean you want to see Lawrence Fishburne as the next kingpin, eh? You nah, know I'm what? Cool I wouldn't nah. hate it. I mean, I wouldn't hate it, but I wouldn't want it either. Yeah, <laughs> I actually, I want Lev Schreiber in with a shaved head in one of those giant fat suits, honestly, because <laughs> I liked him as the voice actor of Kingpin, and I also liked the box Kingpin we saw in Into the Spider Verse. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, 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 like, and I, you know what? Like, I don't know, I don't know how I felt about that change in the film about it being dirty cops well I, I mean I would have been okay with with dirty cops like being the main I guess siege or you know the main the the main I guess foot soldiers in the siege I don't but I really like the horror aspect of watching from the 1975 is that when the first um Assal precinct 13 came out uh that's the one I really like the whole like not knowing... Who your attacker was, and I liked, I liked the not, I liked them not having a motivation, because that's what makes it more terrifying. But again, that was also because we saw we, you and I see Assault on Precinct Thirteen or you know John Carpenter's film more as a horror movie than like an action thriller sort of thing. So you know, I mean, I mean, I'll, I lived with it. It's whatever. Like <laughs> the film was made whether I wanted it or not but uh i think
0: with that do you want to just jump into it yeah i I'll, I'll, I don't mind getting into the plot of this movie yeah so the movie kicks off with uh ethan hawk's character uh i guess his, his name is jake roenick uh he is it's such a protagonist he, name yeah he's uh in some sort of undercover operation here uh where he has like, I don't know if it's like the Russian mob or something. The Chechen? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, what he's he, he has a you know a Eastern European um crime syndicate boss, I don't know, guy who what he's trying the, to sell drugs to. What is it right? with Eastern Europeans and dogs? <laughs> yeah, doesn't it just remind you of like the Chechen from like Dark Knight? <laughs> My dogs are hungry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and you know, the Ethan Hawk is doing a pretty good job at like kind of like playing like a he looks strung like, out strung out as hell, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny too, because when I first saw this movie, like not this time for this show, but the first time I'd ever seen this remake, I was just like, Did this movie like lie? And Ethan Hawk isn't gonna be the good guy in this. I was like, How does he become a police officer from this? and I, mostly just because I'm an idiot and I didn't, re- I didn't realize that the movie was going to show us that this was actually him as an undercover police officer. Um, mm-hmm. But this, like, I guess uh, one of the uh, officers who's who's part of his, you know, sting squad or is also part of his sting operation uh, is recognized by one of the criminals as someone who testified in court. Uh, against someone in their you know family or whatever right Mm -hmm. so it you giant gun battle ensues Uh, you have Ethan Hawke getting shot in the leg and then you have uh, one of you have the partner uh, who gets murdered and you know it's like this really stylized like grainy shaky cam scene and like Mm. nothing else in the movie looks like this
1: yeah it, it it's very jarring because it's the only scene in the film that's like this at all that's that's shot on the move like that everything else is pretty much regular fixed cam and you know it's very traditional filmmaking but this one is very odd um, I guess it's supposed to just kind of like get you to understand the hecticness of the situation that uh, Ronick is in at this point. Um, he, yeah, like Angel said, Ronick gets shot. His uh, his officers end up getting killed in the uh, in the ensuing gun battle, and then Ronick actually ends up killing one of the or he ends up killing the boss who they were trying to uh, bring in. Uh, and has his officer die in his arms. So, you know, it cuts to eight months later where we find out that now ronick has been working a desk job at Precinct 13 in Detroit. And, uh, you know, he's still sergeant, but, you know, he's been pretty much he's been on desk duty ever since he got his uh, injury. Uh, we also see that he's been uh, forced to talk to... Uh, uh, um or he was been mandated for uh, therapy. So he has to talk to a psychologist, um, whom he, of course, because he is the hard-nosed, like, gritty cop is like, I don't need no head shrinker. And, like, you know, he's flipping about therapy the entire time. Like, he jokes about how the only thing that caused him stress in his life is the Detroit Lions. And I'm like, zing, suck it, Detroit. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, we... One thing I did want to talk about really quick is that because we see it in the first scene when we see uh, when we see Roenick, um running through the hallways of the tenement building. And we also kind of see with just kind of the general like um, the general look of what Precinct 13 looks like is I think this film, one thing it did really good is that it really captured kind of what Urban Decay feels like because this is 2005 Detroit I think Detroit doesn't get really hard like doesn't get really hard for doesn't get hit really hard god I can't talk today (laughs) Uh, until three years later when the economic collapse takes place in like 08 but we kind of start getting the feel of kind of like what's to come and they really do a good job of capturing how like, even though you're in a city and you're in a place that's supposed to be full of life and full of uh, people and full of, like, action and stuff, they do a really good job of making uh, Precinct 13 and certain parts of Detroit feel very isolated. Yeah. Um, and, 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 of and course, th- in the, the dead other... of winter of all times, right?
0: Right. Well, the other thing, too, is... You can hear me, right?
1: Yeah, I can hear you.
0: All right, cool. Sorry, it's just I had mute and then off and whatever. But... Uh, no, the other thing, too, is is this movie was shot on location. I, I, I don't know. I think you mentioned it, but what's it called? The movie was shot in Detroit and, I guess, Ontario as well. But, you know, it's as you said, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, <laughs> I'm going to bring it back to something else. Like, when we watch It Follows and It Follows took place in some sort of Detroit suburb, I feel like there's, at least in on film, Detroit has a really good, like, it, it has this this ability on film to look, like both a big city and also just like a portrait of like it feels like a like a city with tons of empty buildings right at the mm-hmm. very same time <laughs> and uh, so yeah it, it it's also just you know the fact as you said the fact that they're in a storm it feels even more isolated than the other because the original film is it, you know you're in la it's california weather uh, and I feel like it's it's harder to buy. it's easy because it's the 70s it's a super indie movie like mm-hmm. you can buy the reality of something like this happening yeah. in this in 70s LA maybe
1: yeah because you're in the 70s <laughs> east like southeast LA too and it's so it's like you know of course as we all know the kind of like the, the crime epidemic that was taking for that would take place um or was starting to take place from the 70s going especially going into the 80s um, You know it wasn't too hard To really suspend disbelief There that it's like Oh crap these cops are they're really taking It to these cops in this like abandoned Precinct building but like you know in this Movie like they really go out of their way To really uh, accentuate Kind of the urban decay already going on In Detroit you know even, even though We know in three years it's only Going to get worse and this isn't even the Start of it you know So um yeah, you know, once we get into the uh, police department, we get introduced to, uh, Drea De Matteo, my my woman crush Wednesday for this week, um, who I think at this point was coming off of like, The Sopranos, right? Like she, I think she was, or I think she was still, she would have still been on The Sopranos. I, I'm not sure. I don't remember my timelines too well, but uh, she's kind of played up to be this sassy, brassy character. Unfortunately, she kind of suffers from your traditional like mid aughts um, strong woman character writing. And by which I mean, she just really likes having sex. And that's kind of how they write strong women back into the 2000s. <laughs> because it's the whole like, oh, yeah, we'll just write her like a dude, but give her a vagina. And that, that <laughs> that's how you make a strong female character. And it's like, it's like, unfortunately, she suffers very much from that. And it sucks because she's uh, such a great actress in The Sopranos. And she's so capable of playing like such complex
0: characters. <laughs> Look, I, and, and you, you're right about what you're saying here. But <laughs> I'm going to argue that none of the actors in this movie are particularly great. They, no. they, they are no. much better in other stuff that they've been in but she's no worse in this than any of her male counterparts. I'm no, that's why I'm not going to shit
1: on any any one actor other than yeah. Job ja Rule. <laughs> I think everyone <laughs> did great with what they had except for Job ja Rule. He's trash no matter what. I but... would
0: probably argue that that Job ja Rule is not served by the material that he has and maybe he probably I feel like Based on the way he acted in this movie is he probably thinks he's got better comedic timing than he actually does.
1: (laughs) Man, I thought you were about to defend him. I was going to tell you that if we ever do live shows, I'm going to buy out the first five rows so it looks like it's empty. (laughs) 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 Oh, God, Our, our live shows would be so boring. It would just be us yelling at each other for an hour and a half. Uh, anyway so yeah the, you know as we as we go through the precinct house we also get introduced to maria Bello's character i think she is uh, alexandra sabian so she's the one that has been kind of taking notes on him and pretty much what she thinks ronick is doing is that he's using his injury as an excuse so that he never ever has to make the difficult decisions as a cop again right and that' he's, that's why he's taking the desk job so that he never uh, has to go out on the field and put someone else's life in jeopardy. Uh, what Roenig, I think Ronick does know this at, at one point, but what's going on on the other side of Detroit is actually there's an operation that's being led by some dirty cops to arrest Resident crime Lord, Marion Bishop and played by the oh so sexy Lawrence fishburne that man's voice is like honey like i don't i remember i texted you like when i was watching the movie and i was like god there's so much tension between him and dreya right now i just <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but yeah so...
0: yeah it's it's it is and the think... sexual tension is palpable to say the least and I I think it's, it's he's very smooth he's yes. very smooth and he's very suave and the thing too like like the original actor who played the kid his name was Napoleon Wilson that's the original like bishop character from uh, from assault on precinct 13 mm-hmm. he's played by by you know by a white actor and he did a reasonable job it's just the way he dressed the way he talked and all this kind of stuff. He just comes off more as like a a lone wolf or a butcher like you know like or like a serial killer mm-hmm. as opposed to what they do with Bishop in this movie where he legitimately does feel like you know he feels like he has people working under him and he he, when like he ends boss, up yeah. like in the precinct all the other you know so-called criminals like, become his minions instantly because he just has that kind of command over a room
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it's like everyone knows who he is and right away as soon as Mary Bishop comes in and he like everyone else knows to fall in line but pretty much what ends up happening is that the you know he he ends up going to uh, church service on New Year's Eve to try to uh uh, try to talk to one of the police officers that he'd been working with. Uh finds out that the police were actually there to kill him. So he ends up killing the officer in the uh, in the church service and while trying to make his escape, he ends up getting arrested. So what's happening, essentially like just to kind of uh, move the, the plot along, because there's a lot of like moving pieces taking place between uh, Bishop and then what's going on in Precinct 13 and until they finally meet. But pretty much, the idea is that Bishop and a bunch of other um, a bunch of other inmates are going to be taken from the police department where they where they were at holding, uh, booked and processing, and they're going to be moved over to county. But because of the holiday, they can't take them overnight, so they're going to stay at Precinct 13 until uh, the morning, where they can ship the rest of the um, the rest of the inmates over and have them processed over there. So in the meantime, that's where the uh, cadre of these rogue-like criminal cops that are led by, oh my God, what's the bad guy's name again? And Because it's actually Duval, Marcus Duval, There we go. So uh, this cadre of cops are essentially going to... The idea is that they pop in and they uh, off Bishop before he can get uh taken to county get started and then Mm -hmm. you know pretty much taken before a judge and he and he points out that all the cops involved that he was working with over the years
0: right because it's very clear and he'll make it very clear to ethan hawk's character later or to rona later that um you know it's if it's either you or me police officers it is not gonna be me (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yeah he is gonna be singing like a canary (laughs) he's
1: like i'm snitching on all of you (laughs) uh we also get uh introduced over at precinct 13 the old man cop jasper o'shea god even his i hate when they do that when they're like what's the most old person name we can think of (laughs) So they give him the name Jasper, but pretty much he's like just this uh th- he's the cop that's about to retire and I think he tells um he tells uh Ronick and and Iris, that's her name. Uh that's uh DeMatteo's character Iris. So he tells Ronick and Iris uh that he's going to retire and this is going to be his last new years and his last rodeo there. And I think from there, that, that's where stuff starts popping off, right? We get the scene of the inmates coming in. They put them in holding cells. Uh, the two sher- Sheriff's County guards come in, um, and they're just kind of hanging out with the rest of the group. Uh, and, and, but unbeknownst to everybody else, you have two shooters that come in with uh, suppressed weapons, and immediately they kill the two sheriff's deputies, that were in charge of the transfer. And I think uh, Ronick and the group end up fighting the guys off. They end up disappearing back into the night. And then that's where pretty much this is where shit starts getting crazy. And this is where the siege starts. So by now our main characters don't know who is attacking this precinct. Uh, A lot of them believe that it's a lot of Bishop's guys. And what this kind of creates is a lot of confusion and a lot of mistrust. Especially between Marion and uh, Jasper, because Jasper is. He, <laughs> I was waiting for him to drop the other shoe, and just be, say something super racist. <laughs> like he was just a character
0: <laughs> I was expecting to be racist, but I. Didn't. Either racist or like a pervert, like yeah, the with the mustache and the white hair. <laughs> he he looks like I swear to you, he looks like. Tom Atkins to me, who was like, you know, the mustache guy who is the star of Halloween 3. (laughs) season of the witch and he's been in other like john carpenter 80s era movies so this guy actually looks the most like a guy who would be in a john carpenter movie (laughs) and i feel like so so i that's why maybe Mm -hmm. i felt like he was a lot more of a lecherous character than he is
1: yeah because he honestly the entire runtime he doesn't do anything that makes me like cringe at him you know (laughs) um so we we end up getting uh dr sabian ends up coming back to the precinct house because her house i'm sorry her car uh was out of juice um when she tries to leave because she refuses to believe that they're being shot at by anybody uh she almost gets her head taken off by uh by a sniper they end up running back inside and we get that really cool scene of, um, I think it's at this point where we get the the laser dot sign, uh, the lasers uh, going into the, um, into the office. So it looks really cool. I really like it. The thing is, that's not how science works. And that's not how lasers or lights work. <laughs> like there wouldn't be a huge, like a solid beam like that, but whatever. I don't want to be nitpicky and shit. But, uh, you know, at one point, uh, at one point, uh, Ronick tries to make a run for, I believe it was the uh, the bus that they had all the, um, that they had the inmates on. They were going to try to move it closer to the uh, precinct, get everyone on and get everyone out. And here is where he gets attacked by one of the shooters. He ends up fighting the guy off and killing him by sticking an icicle in his eye uh after checking the body he finds out that the guy has a has a badge and it was actually a police officer so Ronick is now coming to terms not only the fact that he killed somebody but also that he killed a police officer (laughs) so this is already like at this point um at this point it's like the 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 main characters are finally kind of learning what's going on i I don't know i feel like it was kind of telegraphed that it was going to be cops i don't know how you
0: felt angel there was nothing about this that particularly felt like it was going to be some sort of criminal element like last time, mainly because mm-hmm. the fuck kind of gang would want to be like taking over a police station in the snow. Who has the motivation to do this? That's a lot <laughs> it, of work. Yeah, it's like it literally had to be like either it either had to be some sort of federal agency or it would be some sort of splinter group within the police uh, department or a militia because militias yeah. are evil. <laughs> But what this police department didn't, or what this splinter group didn't count on, is the fact that, uh, you know, that Ronick already lost comrades in war and he wasn't willing to do it again. So. (laughs) 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 That's so dramatic sounding well i mean that's the that's the point of the rest of the movie right is that literally he's gonna try to protect these criminals Mm -hmm. and the people in the police station for no other reason than it's kind of like some sort of cathartic like you know make good for the fact that he let his partner die at the beginning of the movie
1: like so i was reading that apparently he was a former marine is that ever mentioned in the movie i don't remember it being talked about
0: it's never talked about but in the scene where he's waking up in his home you see the uh the marine tattoos on his back uh wow i'm terrible at paying attention then i did not see them it's it, it's such a like quick scene mm-hmm. that yeah it's like if you like i understand if you miss it <laughs> there are parts of this movie that are completely forgettable and it's very <laughs> very quick in the early part of the movie but yes it is there and i do remember seeing the is it semper Fi tattoo on his uh back yeah that's right
1: so we also get introduced to the rest of our criminal element or the, you know our, the rest of our uh criminal cast which include uh beck who played by john leguizamo who is the uh, strung out conspiracy theorists.
0: Yeah, the resident conspiracy theorists, which it's funny because like I feel like John Linguazamo does a lot of like does a lot of like just ranting on Trump on Facebook. <laughs> and like it this feels like the crazy version of that. This feels like if John Linguazamo's Facebook page was like on meth. <laughs> I mean because that's pretty much what it is, is John Linguazamo on meth. <laughs> yeah. And there's stuff that he says that, you know, he's not particularly wrong about what he says either. So it absolutely feels like meth head John Leguizamo thoughts. But
1: it's funny because it also tells you where we were as a country at this time because it's like, you know, Beck is ranting about how criminals have rights and uh, how the police have a duty to protect everyone in the population, not just like whom they deem innocent, but also including people that... Um, that that are guilty of crimes because they're still citizens of our society, and it's like in 2005, post 9 11, we're supposed to be like, shut up hippie, <laughs> shut up commie scum, but now in like 2021, we're like, no, that's right, people are people no matter what. <laughs> so it goes to show you that Beck was actually ahead of his time. Uh, we get also introduced to uh Ja Rules' character Smiley, who. I do your know. favorite
0: character it's so because, stupid that because he all talks. he does is talk in the third person
1: no but that's the thing he doesn't always talk in the third person it's inconsistent he sometimes he talks in the third person sometimes he doesn't so I'm like I told like I texted you about it I'm like who the fuck is smiley because <laughs> he keeps saying smiley never done anything wrong and I assumed he was talking about the other character Anna. And, it, and I thought, no. why would I thought you think she, that? Because he said, Smiley did nothing wrong. And then she says, I've never done a, a crime in my life. So I'm assuming that, you know, because I wasn't really paying attention at the time. I was like, oh, yeah, maybe, uh, like, because I had to watch this movie twice. Because the first time I watched it, I was not really paying attention. Don't know why. I just couldn't get into it. So then I sat down and watched it again over the weekend.
0: What is it? What is it with these New Year's movies that we've done where like you can't seem to focus on what the premise is. I Last year at why. least both of us had that problem. This year it's just you again.
1: <laughs> I know this year it's just I can't fuck I could not fucking focus on this movie at all. <laughs> like I cannot tell you why. I was just like I, I like i i would watch a scene and then i would immediately forget what was going on so i had to go back and rewatch the scene <laughs> so i'm like you know what i'm gonna stop i'm gonna just i'm gonna come back to this movie in a little bit i like gave myself like a couple hours break came back and i watched it and then it was on my second watching where i was like oh he really is talking to the third person that's dumb because he doesn't do it all the time so that's stupid and i'm pretty sure that was a jaw rule call and he's an idiot <laughs> So and we also get introduced to Anna, who has I think like the resident carjacker was her thing, but she like you know the, the, the running joke with her is that she claims she's never done anything wrong in her life. <laughs> and then Smiley was like a counterfeiter, or I forgot what his thing was while he was in why he was in jail. But essentially what happens is that because uh there's they got pretty much very I think they only have Jasper and Rourke uh, or Rourke, sorry, Ronick, uh, they're able to actually fight off the siege that's coming. What Ronick ends up doing is he arms uh, the rest of the criminals and has and, um, and enlists them to help protect themselves. And you know, at one point Beck even asks Ronick, well what's stopping us from killing your skinny white ass?" And he goes, because once they if you kill me, they're gonna come in and kill all of us anyway. So pretty much they're in this idea of kind of mutually assured destruction unless they work together, and so we get a couple scenes where you know they fight off a bunch of the cops as they try to storm uh, the precinct house. Uh, We get that scene that I honestly found hilarious, which I think is kind of bad because it is pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty violent scene when uh, Doctor Sabian is confronted by one of the cops and she or one of the like. Yeah, one of the cops, and he's about to shoot her, and then uh, Smiley and Beck end up jumping the cop and like beating him to death with a baseball bat and a katana. <laughs> and then, and then uh, Smiley's like, "Are you you good?" And Beck is like, "Yeah, I feel a lot better now. <laughs> like you know, like it was <laughs> cathartic to kill the dude." Yeah. And meanwhile, uh, and meanwhile, Sabian is just looking like disturbed. Cursed as shit because she just saw you get killed. <laughs> uh, we get, get that cool scene with uh, with Bishop where he ends up saving. I think he ends up saving uh, Iris by like throwing Molotov cocktails at the cops and like setting the dude on fire. Yes, um, there,
0: there, there's it's it. This this was one of the sexual tension scenes where like she watched. They literally talk about. <laughs> literally have this bizarre like love and sex and death conversation at some point in the movie that is like so insanely sexual (laughs) that i just pictured her having an orgasm like the moment that the molotov cocktail like burned those two police officers alive she was like my sploosh could have put the fire (laughs)
1: out you know what she reminds me of or who she reminds me of was fucking uh what's her name from archer carol (laughs) and how carol used to be and like all the violence and how the fire would turn her on and shit oh
0: yeah
1: that's what iris in this movie reminds me of and then, yeah, because at one point they're, like, talking about how there's stories where Mary and Bishop ripped the dude's spine. She's like, is it true that you ripped the guy's spine out? And I was like, what is this, fucking middle school telephone? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I heard you he patted him on the back, and it becomes, yeah, you ripped his spine out through his asshole." And then he's like, No, I didn't rip his spine out. What I did was I ripped his throat out. <laughs> and I'm like, that is just as much on a, in a or what's it called, anatomically impossible. <laughs> or I don't know. Apparently it happened in Roadhouse, which I've never seen. So <laughs> but um yeah, like that's kind of the beginning of their weird sexual tension. And then this leads to like a lot of confrontation between Jasper and Ronick because Jasper again. In a possibly racist fuel, like uh, move, he refuses to believe that uh, they can trust any of the criminals. Uh, so at this point, they tried uh, a couple things to try to get out of um, to try to get out of the precinct house. Uh, or no, 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 I'm I'm getting ahead of myself because at one point the one of the other officers that was at precinct thirteen earlier in the film ends up coming back. He like drives through the blockade and ends up in the front building, uh, or ends up getting to the precinct house. However, this leads to a lot of mistrust because people don't know whether he's with, um, whether he's with Duval's men or not.
0: And I'm with it too because it's like this character barely made an impression on me earlier in the film. Uh, Ronick v- vouches for him, but at the very same time, it's you know it does make you think when when they like conveniently miss him the entire time mm-hmm. it, it absolutely feels like he's the guy who's going to turn i think he's the guy who feels like he's the turncoat only because you know mustached guy is like it's too obvious if it's him right
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> It's way so yeah, it's like he's the he's the misdirect, pretty much is what it's supposed to feel like, right? So what ends up happening is they come up with some escape plans to try to to try to to try to get to Cap it's Capra, Officer Capra, uh No, Captain Capra? I don't know. I don't know people's ranks. Uh Officer, yeah, so it's Officer Capra um they try to come up with a plan to get uh one group of the criminal one person from the criminals and one person from the cops to be able to get to the car so that they can go get help so pretty much the Dr. Sabian um, volunteers herself and Anna is the because she's the carjacker she uh volunteers to go and um hijack the car so that they can get out of there um what ends up happening is that Smiley and Beck refuse to wait and they try to make a go of it themselves by setting fire to, I think, either a car or the bus. I don't remember too well. And they end up trying to make a beeline towards the uh, perimeter gate and try to escape through the uh, nearby woods. When they end up getting sniped, unfortunately... Um, I mean, well, unfortunately for Beck, I don't. I, I don't
0: yeah, I thought you Smiley. hated the character of Smiley. What do you? What do you mean, yeah. unfortunately? This is literally should have been your stand up and cheer moment of this movie.
1: Nah, I don't care enough. He got shot, and I was like, good. <laughs> I'm like, he's gone. Thank you. I felt more sad when Anna died. Honestly.
0: <laughs> yeah, I definitely was not expecting that.
1: Yeah, because pretty much um, Sabian and 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 Anna they they managed to get to the car and as they're it looks like they're about to escape is revealed that one of the SWAT officers is in the back of the car ends up popping Anna while they're driving uh causing the car to crash uh they apprehend Sabian who and they try to get her to like uh, I forgot what it was to try to get information from her as to like how many people were in the precinct house and stuff she refuses mm-hmm. to to help him so Duval ends up killing her like you know in cold blood right then and there
0: yeah and 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 that's probably the as i said before it really is the most shocking scene to me in the movie because conventional movie rules especially in a movie like this where you know it's good it's interesting i like watching it but there's nothing in this that feels like it doesn't stand out this feels like a generic action movie which I think is the unfortunate part of the fact that this is going to be a remake of a beloved John Carpenter movie is that this does just feel a tad wrote. So the fact that the character that, you know, in many cases you would believe that she's going to stick around to the end. She's going to help Ethan Hawke's character, uh, you know, deal with the trauma of having allowed his partners to die, and that him helping her survive the night is going to be the thing that, like, you know, that 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 brings him back and and makes him the police officer he once was. But mm-hmm. the fact, you know, again, it's you get the you get the shocking death of uh, you get her shocking death, and. You know, it just it really did. It really is the one moment in the movie where I was like, "Oh shit, I did not expect this." And because this is my sec only my second time seeing this movie since I saw it like back in two thousand five or two thousand six, like I was just as shocked this time as I was the first time I saw it.
1: And you know, that's the thing. This like like move, especially in the odds the movie logic is that oh, they're joking about the sexual tension between uh sabian and ronick and between bishop and iris so it's only safe to assume that ronick is probably going to end up with sabian because he's our protag right so that's another reason why you're thinking oh crap she's gonna make it to the end and then it's like no she gets off like you know two-thirds into the movie you're like whoa geez it's like if she's like not cop character and if she's kind of like and For all intents and purposes If this was a horror movie She would probably be your, your final girl You're like oh if she can get it Anyone can get it You know like any one of these characters can die I mean they already killed Beck And I was like oh man um, So from there um, You know Ronick kind of has A, a, a crisis because he believes He got uh, Sabian killed and, you know, like you were saying, the person that actually kind of, the, the, the person that actually helped Ronick get his, I guess, uh, get it together and be the leader that he's supposed to be and be the bad, quote unquote badass. I think Iris calls him badass at one point uh, that he's supposed to be is actually Marion Bishop of all people. Uh, you know, they have that talk, that kind of like uh, bro down where he tells him like, uh, you know, those are people that need you to lead. You got to go out there and lead. Um, to get it, because otherwise, you know, we're not going to get out of here alive unless uh, you get it together.
0: So, well, and what I like about it is, I think, and I give all the credit to Lawrence Fishburne for this is that it doesn't feel corny, right? Like he doesn't do it in a way where it feels like, all right, well, now we're going to be friends coming out of this. It's it it does feel a little exaggerated or a little too action movie where he's like, you know, well, if it comes to me or you, it's going to be me but that's that is original assault on precinct 13 stuff Mm -hmm. like i said i i think you know that is what the original movie is is it is like the criminal and the police officer learning to work together and and them working together is what keeps everyone alive Mm -hmm. uh what makes bishop an interesting character to me is that you know again he is all about self-preservation and has no problem letting you know, Ronick be the guy in charge. You know, it, it's not like a night of the living dead dynamic where you get one guy who's the alpha and then the other guy's constantly trying to challenge him. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's this is not a dick measuring contest between <laughs> between them. Bishop really just wants to survive this night, uh, and wants to keep himself out of jail and will allow uh Ronick to do whatever it is that they need and even assist him in leading everyone in a way that you know allows him to see the next day
1: and it's consistent to the character's motivation everything he does is in that sense right and that's why it's interesting because by the end of the movie that's kind of what um ronick has to take on
0: this is the one character that i will say uh probably the most well-written
1: in my opinion
0: (laughs) is the most well-written and is better than his original movie counterpart oh totally like as much as I like Ethan Hawke, uh, I also th- I also really like the character, like the main police character in Assault on Precinct Thirteen, the original movie. Talking about Ethan um, Bishop, yeah. So it's yeah, it is. <laughs> you know.
1: No, yeah, I totally, I, I totally agree. Like, I feel that. I feel like this is in that, in that situation where it's like these characters are actually more likable. And that's that, I'm not going to lie, Ethan Bishop and Napoleon Wilson in the original are very likable. Like, you remember there's that scene where it's like they have to decide over who has to go. I think it was go drive the bus, right? And so they settle it by doing like Rochambeau. <laughs> and yeah, it it's turn- kind like this
0: bizarre, like, it, it's not even really Rochambeau, but it's this bizarre hand game. That, like, they both do that, they even do at the end of the movie when they spoiler alert survive the siege.
1: Yeah, but at least in this, um, you know, in this song, Precinct 13, this, I guess this is supposed to be the grim and gritty older brother. <laughs> so, they we don't get any of that, we just get a pep talk, and we get the scene where uh, Duval, I'm sorry, not Duval, uh, Bishop uh, assumes Capra is, the, is there to betray. Uh, the rest of the group at the uh at the precinct house and in a moment that surprises jasper and everyone you would expect uh ronick to take the other cops uh sides but he actually ends up siding with bishop and asking why capra was by himself and why he was in the back so they end up handcuffing him no longer trusting him and what ends up happening is Jasper actually uh devises a plan to get everyone out through a abandoned maintenance hall, like a maintenance tunnel that leaves them out in the woods. Uh, which apparently he conveniently forgot up until now. I think Iris at one point mentions that. And then um meanwhile, Ronick and Bishop end up making preparations for uh, when the final siege begins, they end up pouring gasoline, turpentine, anything they can find that's flammable uh, all over the precinct house. And so that way, when the SWAT officers start their uh, storming the building one more time, they manage to set fire to everything, light it all up to cover their escape. And uh, Jasper ends up taking our heroes up into the forest and helping them escape um and as soon as soon like the moment they had a chance to finally like uh part ways bishop flips a switch grabs iris puts a gun to her head and tells the rest of the cops to drop their weapons and that him and iris are going to uh take a drive so that they can leave um of course reminding us Again, this is Bishop's thing. He is about self-preservation. Never did he ever intend to actually make it to be in front of a judge. And I thought it was a fantastic scene. Like, I thought it was a fantastic switch. I thought it was done. Lawrence Fishburne is so calm, cool, collected, where, like, that's the thing. He has a a weird, warm voice. Like, he has this combination of having a very warm voice, but a very deadpan delivery. And which makes you not know how to feel about him. Like, I don't know if that makes
0: sense. <laughs> yeah, he again, he, he could either play the police captain or he could play like the criminal, you know, underboss, like or or you know, criminal kingpin that he does in this movie. Like it's 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 such a flexible like way of playing stuff, and, and Lawrence Fishburne often does this. Like, I think as you said, he has a, he just has an excellent voice. And he never really has scenes where he loses, like, he's not really known for losing control. Like, right? Like, have you ever seen a movie where he does something like that? Like, I feel like this, like, calm, you know, frightening or comforting Mm -hmm. demeanor, like, is something that he does in every movie that he's in. Closest (laughs) thing I can think of?
1: is I think it's Hannibal season 2 opening where he confronts Hannibal and it's just beef on sight. <laughs> and like but you know what he doesn't even talk he, they just immediately start beating the shit
0: out of each other. No, you know what more than just that uh, it, it's it, his character in Boys in the Hood where yeah. he plays Cuba Gooding's father and the the you know the story in that movie is that he had you know his son at a very young age and that's why he and Cuba Gooding are so close in age in that movie but he plays it in such a way where his mature like you know he has this maturity where he absolutely feels like you know a much older parent despite the fact that they look more like contemporaries than anything (laughs) God, but anyway yeah he's such tune in for our Lawrence Fishburne podcast
1: you know what there actually is enough i think we between the two of us we can't actually make a biopic on do we like Florence Fisher? <laughs> <laughs> oh man so yeah they end up getting surrounded by the swat officers um and it's revealed that jasper actually led them to this uh to this point because jasper is about to retire <laughs> now, it, I wasn't sure if he was getting paid by Duval, And that's why he said he was going to retire Or if he was going to retire And he just wanted to live to see retirement um, Either way, he's a scumbag But also, like, yeah, I, okay, like I get it You're an old dude, like, still fuck you But, um, so what I think it was Bishop What Bishop does is he antagonizes uh, Jasper enough uh, To start attacking him and jasper demands to be the one that kills bishop so he ends up having uh bishop get close to him and ends up uh putting a flashbang grenade in his uh jacket pocket so he pulls the pin and gives a signal for everyone else to drop their heads uh and cover their ears and the flashbang ends up going off blinding everyone and like burning jasper <laughs> Which I was like, I don't know if flashbangs do that, but I also don't. I'm pretty sure they do, but I don't want to find out. (laughs) So like half his body's, he turns into Two Face. Essentially, he's like Aaron Eckhart and (laughs) has Two Face. And then um, what's his? uh, What was it? Um, yeah. So they start confronting and start killing off all these cops. Bishop ends up taking a couple bullets. I think Ronick ends up getting shot. Uh, at one point, Iris ends up fighting another cop and she ends up using what uh, Bishop taught her to kill uh, the cop. Um, essentially like punching him in the throat. Or what was it? Something about grabbing his throat.
0: Yeah, well, she, she attempts to do the the move that Bishop was telling her about, but fails. And instead like, just yanks stabs a him, knife right? yeah, yeah just, just yanks a knife from his like vest and and just stabs him in the head with it Ew, that's stabs him that... in the throat and the knife goes up into his head it's it's
1: pretty cool yeah <laughs> it's pretty rad y'all so um i forgot who ends up killing Duval.
0: it th- is uh i th- i think it's ronick Cause Duval gets Bishop on the snow mm-hmm. and it's kind of saying is asking for Bishop to, to play him, right? Like mm-hmm. essentially call him over here so that I can kill him. And he was already there.
1: That's right. Gotcha. 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 So, uh, because that's the last thing they talk about mm-hmm. how, um, how, uh, Ronan tells, uh, Bishop how he, that he could have, uh, he could have betrayed him, but he chose not to. what and is it that they tell each
0: other earlier in the movie? Our shit's on pause.
1: Our shit's on pause. I like how they <laughs> say that. I do like that line. <laughs> it's so cringy, but so cool. Like, like I, our shit's on pause. It's like, oh, you know it's about to come up again. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what ends up happening... Um, you know, the, the he gives Bishop a head start, knowing completely he can't chase after him, he's in no condition. Uh, Iris and Ronick end up like hobbling their way as the as the sun rises. Um, they watch on as like bishop escapes and I think it th- this is where Iris uh, says that she saw him be the whole different badass that she hadn't seen before. It only took the last day of the precinct for it to finally happen. And finally, Ronick agrees, saying that he is
0: back. And credits roll, and that is Assault on Precinct 13. I don't know. For some reason, I remembered this movie being better, but I think it's because I saw it when I was in high school. I was the target audience for this. And much like Triple X State of the Union. Uh, It was one of those movies that I watched at that period of my life. Except, unfortunately, unlike Triple X, State of the Union, which I will cape for until the day that I die. Because it was really a wonderful surprise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This movie was, I just again, like I think I said it several times in this episode. It felt more like a generic action movie. Um, I liked some of the actors in it. I did like some of the performances. I definitely love Lawrence Fishburne in this, but there's nothing about it that really stands out. Um, it, it's just... I, I've seen all these wonderful actors be better in other stuff. <laughs> so, it did this movie did not need to be remade. It's uh, not... It, it could have been... Re- is it worth revisiting? I don't know. If, if you like you know if you like me watch it out of a curiosity of oh well you know movies that take place on new year's eve sure check it out but there are much better movies that take place on new year's eve than this (laughs) so so you know watch it at your own risk
1: like if they were gonna remake the movie they didn't need to add the overcomplicated crime boss plot because it's not like assault on precinct 13 isn't a really fucking dense plot you know like from the the first one the 1976 one it wasn't meant to be like a very dense movie and
0: yeah but but the movie is so but the premise of Assault on Precinct 13 is so simple you know that it's just if you were to try to remake it you should try to change you should try to make it a little bit more dense right because there's absolutely no there's no reason to make the movie so simple again because if you and, are, then why don't you have people watch the original? You know, in my opinion, I think it's a movie that uh, it's a movie that is so bare bones and doesn't have much going on in it that if you're gonna remake it, you better have a good script. You know, yeah, it, and this that, movie
1: did not really have a good. Yeah, script. and the director,
0: was, who, and they got like a French director to do it. Probably because wall. they thought it would add, like, more style to it and, and make it a bit more avant-garde. But it's just, there's nothing about it that is, you know, as we've talked about over and over again. Uh, it didn't work. <laughs> it's CGI. an experiment that was tried. And, uh, you know, I think this has, like, a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Or yeah, it's, it's, it's not very high. Learned, and like, uh, The CGI so-
1: is super, like, awkward-looking in this movie i don't know if that's a a, that's because of its time or because just you know or this one was especially bad but i felt the cgi was really weird like especially the cgi falling snow in the beginning (laughs) like it was just a really i don't know like it was i get it they were trying to flesh out and use this movie to tell a different story than the first one but they tried a little bit too hard and they just didn't have a good enough script in my opinion. It was just meh. Like this is just a really run-of-the-mill, very generic like action movie. Um yeah, it's better to go watch the original, I guess. That might be the 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 better way to go. Um it just sucks because there was so many of these movies, like so many of these remakes that came out during this time that were just so middle of the road. They weren't necessarily bad, but they weren't really good either. I mean, okay, there was a bunch that were really bad, but then like the best of those were very middle of the road, I think is what I meant. And this is just that kind of movie where it's just like, not a bad movie, it's just not one I'm gonna revisit. I don't like it personally, I'm not gonna really go out of my way to watch if I don't have to. And plus, it has Ja Rule, like, why would I want to watch more
0: Ja Rule? Whatever, I mean, I didn't think Ja Rule was that bad in Fast and the Furious, <laughs> but I don't think he was that good in anything else. After that, was <laughs> <What's laughs> about
1: to say, I'm like, are you gonna become a Ja Rule apologist?
0: Absolutely not, especially good. not after the fire festival incident that happened a couple years ago. <laughs> has ja done enough damage to his credibility that uh, us discussing assault on precinct 13 2005 is not going to make much of a difference to how yeah. people view
1: him my favorite thing about jaw rule is even when you think you're scraping the bottom of the barrel you just find more barrel so i think that's about it that is assault on precinct 13
0: this is our first episode of the new year and uh we will see. Uh, I definitely have an idea for a running series that I would like us to do, much like we did uh in year one with Star Wars. And uh it's gonna be a matter of uh convincing of hobby Rings, to do I'll it. You. <laughs> if
1: you're if you're saying Lord of the Rings, I will fight you. Are you
0: Absolutely serious? not Lord of the Rings. <laughs> okay, good. But good, because uh, I
1: want it to be known right now. I fucking hate Lord of the Rings. <laughs>
0: you know what just for you saying that it, people are going to ask us to review Lord of the Rings And yeah
1: they can fucking ask me to fight
0: like, all of <laughs> but anyway uh, yeah we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode and, uh, for continuing to download the show and interact with us on, so- on social media and we hope that you guys continue to join us for what we hope is just another year in the long running future of this podcast
1: if in case anyone uh in case people don't know year three or season three of things is usually the darkest season so prepare for the darkest year of our podcast adventures oh god and if you don't believe me just watch cobra
0: cry season three oh my god okay <laughs> all right well we'll talk to you guys next time
1: all right later y'all